I am here at Walt Whitman Park. There is absolutely no one here. So we're back. <laughs> we're back. Hello. And are you scared? Uh, I'm not scared. No, welcome back to uh, Sick Transit Gloria. It's been Se- a minute. Yeah, we are on season four. Surprise, we've lasted this long. <laughs> and uh, I'm back. I'm Anna. I'm Sabina. It's a pleasure it to be pleasure. with the OG host of Sick Transit Gloria right now. There's so much that we walk by every day because there's so much in this city. So much has happened in this city. There's always a story in this city, especially because it's changing so fast. And we're bringing those stories to you. So you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) This week we have a story about a poet. What poet, Anna? Uh, His name is Walt. Walt Whitman. Oh. Oh. He was a poet in New York in the 1800s. And he wrote some pretty famous stuff. Uh, he's got Song of Myself. Leaves of Grass. Leaves of Grass. He was born and raised New Yorker and stayed here, which is wild. In a time where New York was maybe not as kind of the place that we think of now. Um, he had a fantastic beard. I recommend looking up a photograph of him. Said he enjoyed being naked. Sunbathing naked. Yeah. That's really cool. I would like to try that. Maybe at the Walt Whitman Park. Oh my gosh. Did you guys know there's a Walt Whitman Park? It's sad. And it's really close to Tandon, NYU Tandon. Learning more about him, especially from somebody who really does care about him a lot, um, I feel like his stuff sort of just has a lot more meaning to it. Um, and I think that the places associated with him have more meaning in, in sort of in the same way. And what's fascinated me about Karen is that I've never met anyone who's just so obsessed with an author to go through the, the, or a poet to go through the lens that she does to protect his work. And I think that's really incredible and something that we really need. My name is Karen Carboner. Uh, I teach in the liberal studies program. I was in grad school and really more interested in the British romantics, uh, but took this amazing class on Whitman and Dickinson, which blew my mind and I realized that Whitman is a local poet you know and just loving New York myself and being a New Yorker myself I could really relate to his passion for the city and the energy that he got from the streets. He was an uneducated poet Uh, he had to drop out of school at about age 11 Um, so the city was really his school. I just love the idea of America's greatest poet actually having urban roots in the city that I love. He was born on Long Island, but by the time he was four, his dad moved the family to Brooklyn. So his father built houses and moved the family around a whole lot, and Whitman really got to know Brooklyn in that way. Um, They moved something like 33 times in 42 years, but Whitman found this energy on the streets and you think about poems like crossing brooklyn ferry where it's actually celebrating a commute experiences in new york that a lot of us write off as in between 
you know, like the getting to somewhere, he saw incredible beauty in the people, the energy and passion of the city. I guess the thing we still call the New York state of mind. Mm. He was the first poet to recognize it and celebrate it. I'll have like a bad day, you know, in New York with school or like work or whatever. And something that like lifts me up is knowing that the city is kind of like there to envelop me and there's so much beauty to be found and so many people it's kind of like another friend in your life that that is there to support you and that's what also always confuses me about people who like feel very isolated in the city because I always feel like it's it's there for me it, it definitely is an organism of some kind but I think it's a very fickle organism you know I think that sometimes it's there for you and sometimes it's not I have an interesting relationship to the city because I'm somebody who's from the total opposite of a city. So it's I, I, I have a, an interesting relationship to the city, which I think is really different from what you have and what maybe Walt Whitman had. There are the friends that you grow up with and you sort of know all your life. And then there are the friends you meet later in life. And those friendships are super different. And I think those are kind of the two relationships that you see people have to the city. New York and I are still getting to know each other. So he's born in 1819. And that's why I was saying we're celebrating his 200th birthday. And his greatest work gets produced really in the middle of the century. So he publishes Leaves of Grass, his seminal book of poetry, in 1855. And he is not a spring chicken then. He's like 36 years old. Really took him, I guess because he was not on the same track as Longfellow and Emerson and Hawthorne, these guys going to Harvard and Bowdoin. It took, I think probably till our time to for people to realize how ahead of his time he was. On April 4th, I'm actually doing a, a talk at NYU about a book I'm coming out with, with Brian Selznick. We're coming out with a book called Live Oak with Moss, which is um, a collection of Whitman's most intimate homoerotic poems. He wrote them really for himself, and he like ripped up the notebook later and kind of reconstituted the poems into this series of poems called Calamus, which a lot of people know as the most beautiful homoerotic poems ever written. Whitman was writing about homosexuality before the word was invented. The word homosexuality, I think, is used in the German uh, language first in the late 1860s, and it wasn't until the 1890s that people used it in English. So Whitman being gay had a uh, he was always struggling to find a way to express it. And these poems really show his passion for other men and his wrestling with his own identity. I've started a uh, nonprofit called the Walt Whitman Initiative. And our whole motivation is to bring poetry to public life. So we do things like we host an annual Song of Myself marathon in Brooklyn Bridge Park. People sign up for different sections of Song of Myself. There are 52. And some people perform them. Some people read them in different languages. One guy brings like a rodeo lasso every year. <laughs> so many parts of Brooklyn and New York have a feeling of Whitman. On the website for the Walt Whitman Initiative, people can read about our efforts to save his house at 99 Ryerson Street. Only house left standing of all of those houses I told you about that Whitman lived in during his life. It's also the house where he finished Leaves of Grass, you know, like a three-story building where American poetry was born. He wrote so often about, you know, the people that he would see. For him, it wasn't so much the architecture of the city. So, for instance, he's got a poem called Broadway, where he's just, like, looking left and right and just 
feeling the energy from people, right? Even if you just like pass someone by or you, you have that New York thing where you catch someone's eye for a moment. I actually have a word for that called urban affection. Because it's not something when you leave the city, you know that well. But if you're in the city and like, for instance, you're sitting in the subway and you look at the person across the way and you catch their eye. And his poetry really celebrates that feeling, that urban affection between people. I know a, a piece of song of myself. Do you think that the listeners will trust that I don't have it in front of me? Mm-hmm. How, how do they know I'm not lying? When She's we're not, not lying. She's not lying. Okay. You can take it. Stop this day and night with me, and you shall possess the origin of all poems. You shall possess the good of the sun and the earth. There are millions of suns left. You shall no longer take things at second or third hand, nor look through the eyes of the dead, nor feed on the specters in books. You shall not look through my eyes either, nor take things from me. You shall listen to all sides and filter them from yourself. I have heard what the talkers were talking, the talk of the beginning and the end, but I do not talk of the beginning or the end. There was never any more inception than there is now, nor any more youth or age than there is now, nor will ever be any more perfection than there is now nor any more heaven or hell than there is now. Urge and urge and urge, always the procreant urge of the world. (laughs) (laughs) I did feel the New York in that, though. I know what you mean. Well, and also this, like, it's time for something new. And he's really trying to invent American poetry in those lines. And here he is, and he's like, you shall no longer take things at second or third hand, right? I I really like the line, you shall listen to all sides and filter them from yourself. Because, you know, when you memorize something, you really get to know it very intimately. And I always thought that line was, you shall listen to all sides and filter them for yourself. That would be the way you would normally think about it. But to filter them from yourself, right? To actually hear it all, but then kind of remove it and allow yourself to shine, to you know, to find your own voice. I mean, that's really what he's talking about. And he's really also the poet of the now. So that whole end statement, you know, there was never any more inception than there is now. That makes him really different too, because he's not celebrating the past. You know, he's not just like looking into the future to find something. He is all about, as so many New Yorkers are, just like being here. Um, Well, speaking of now, how is he relevant to New York and America today? That voice that I keep talking about, to be your own voice, portray yourself, right? To, to find your identity. He's wrestling with his own sexual identity. It is so meaningful right now because he was truly wrestling with so much that it would take 200 years for us to really understand how difficult it is to, f- to face these issues head on. We can always be inspired by other words. That's why people are listening to your show, <laughs> right? Like words are inspiring, but especially words that are fighting the same fight that we try to fight. And that's what he's doing. I'm here at Walt Whitman Park in Brooklyn. There is a small amphitheater set up Um, like small 
really small kind of kind of nice though kind of beautiful would maybe be a place for uh, a nice poetry reading um but definitely little association with walt and walt's message um doesn't really seem like a place that he would approve of or that would inspire him everything's gray as well and it's not just because it's winter in new york but the the, the cement is gray on the ground uh, really no resemblance to, to anything Walt stood for. Also surrounded by the New York City Office of Emergency Management. An important note, after I've been sitting here for a few more minutes at Walt Whitman Park. Oh, dogs. Many people are crossing through, so I think this is a good crossing spot for that. It's honestly quite a peaceful place, and I do know that Walt would at least, at the very least, appreciate that basically just like a glorified parking lot <laughs> right it's there's nothing to it and it could be so beautiful it just needs a little bit of community love the new yorkers are so creative and lovely but you guys know from doing this show that there are still overlooked little places in new york and this happens to be one of them we are putting up a really beautiful public art monument at the spot where Leaves of Grass was first printed. We first thought we would put a plaque there, but then we were like, nah, Walt would hate just like a plaque. So we've been working with Pratt uh, Institute in Brooklyn and some incredible designers there. I'm gonna give a shout out to Megan Lee. And she designed this gorgeous a portal that you will walk through. We're gonna put like this archway. In the archway is a Whitman quote, something like, I dream all the dreams of the other dreamers and I become the other dreamers. There really is something to be said, you know, with keeping the past alive, even though there's so much talk about, you know, we're living in like a postmodern era or whatever. <laughs> that's why we do stuff like this podcast is because the stuff that's gone is never actually gone. Walt Whitman's still here. Even if you destroy a building, you know, that land is never going to, you know, those stories are never going to leave that land. As long as we keep telling them. There are some Whitman related events coming up. Uh, and if you're interested in something like that, you can check out Karen's website for the Walt Women Initiative. We've linked to that in our SoundCloud. You have been listening to Sick Transit Gloria on WNYU 89.1 FM. I'm Anna. I'm Spina. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Karen Carboner for joining us on this episode. Thank you to Shilpa Ray for our intro song, New York Minute Prayer, on the album Door Girl. This is my New York Minute Prayer.